You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Is it coming down? Uh, it's coming right down all over top of us. Uh, this is uh, the subject of today's show. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, my name is Danny Anderson, and I'm your host. And uh, Todd Pedler from the Book of Nature Podcast, professor of physics at Luther College, uh, stalwart of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, he and I have been kind of communicating informally um, about this coronavirus stuff, and we decided to do sort of an impromptu and completely scriptless uh, show uh, in which we talk about this. And so, um, but uh, I, I just wanted to uh, uh, maybe, because it's affecting higher ed in such a profound way, I think that this is sort of where we're going. Um, but Todd, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm healthy. You're feeling uh, well. I'm washing my hands vigorously. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a meme with like Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Terminator looking in his robot hand. This is how I feel at the end of every day now. Like I, I do feel like I'm scraping the skin off my body, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I, no, it's a weird time. It is definitely a weird time. And, and I guess what kind of prompted this episode for us to kind of dedicate an episode that I'm going to try and drop in early, uh, just to kind of interrupt the normal flow of things. Is because it is such a, a, a chaotic monkey wrench into our society, and we all live uh, in the higher ed world by and large, and and so it's having particular impacts on us. and And I actually want to ultimately get to the claim that I think in a couple of years we're going to look back at this as a kind of watershed moment for something new in higher ed. Um, and and I don't know if, I don't know that it'll be a bad thing. I'm not I'm not even dire about this. I think um, there's interesting ways to see what. Uh, to think about what might come of this. But um, so uh, let's, I don't want to like beat around the bush. Um, so <laughs> I, let's kind of you talk a little bit, you're the science guy, right? And so if you could talk a little bit about the virus, I mean, even if it's about what we don't know, um, I think just a yeah. little bit of uh, background about it before getting into its impact on society. Well, sure. So, I mean, at the end of 2019, this, uh, this, this new, you know, when they say novel coronavirus, novel just means new, literally. And coronavirus is a virus that, uh, type of virus that is, uh, named coronavirus because of the way that it looks. If you look at it, uh, with an electron microscope, you see spiky things all over it, kind of like the, you know, dragon fruit or whatever those fruits are that have the big spikes. Um, uh, and that, you know, Corona is crowned. So there you have it. So it's the crowned, uh, the crowned virus. And, you know, th these are, you know, largely they affect us in terms of respiratory function. Um, uh, you and, know, there are a lot of them around. And yeah. it is, excuse me, it has existed already. Um, oh, sure. Someone told me, and I went and checked, I grabbed the Lysol bottle from my um, from my basement, which who knows how long ago I bought that, and it says human coronavirus on it. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Lysol wipes that I have that I bought, and we can talk about my interrupted travels later. But Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I mean, human coronavirus, it's a, it's a um, animals get it, 
Uh, you know, this, I, I'm not sure that they have the origin completely tracked down yet, but I remember when it first came up as a, a major issue, uh, it was attached, uh, the story was attached to some video of a woman eating a bat yeah, the, in, yeah. <laughs> in Wuhan, uh, China, which is where, um, where this originates. Um, it's thought maybe it was transmitted from, uh, you know, animals like bats. Bats carry these things. Cats carry these things, apparently. So, you know, if you get it, you're not supposed to pet your cat, I guess, mm. um, um, which is unfortunate because our cats, <laughs> our cats anyway, they like to hang around us when we're sick and in yeah. bed. Um, but but uh, anyway, so this this began sort of the end of 2019 and into January, we started to see huge numbers of of infections in in China, and then it more or less spread, uh, you know, into other parts of Asia and into Italy. Interestingly, uh, uh, Italy is the hot, you know, it's the second second most number of cases I think beside uh, behind China uh, currently, um, and you know, sort of initiated by travel and by trade across, you know, our our global society really is, you know something that we see evidence of uh in what's going on so people travel and pass it on to others and then local communication of the disease begins um most of the i think most of the cases around the world can be traced back to somebody traveling to china or somebody traveling to you know now that it's a few months later somebody traveling to some other place where there might be infected people some of the tricky issues with this is you're contagious before you even show symptoms. Right. Um, and the incubation period, so the period from on, you know, uh, from, from uh, getting it to onset of symptoms can be as long as two weeks. So you hear all this stuff about two week, you know, self-isolation periods. That's what this is all about. Uh, people, they're, 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 they want people to be um, sure that they don't have it. You know, if they've traveled somewhere that way, they might pick it up. Um, so it's kind of tricky in that way. It's, um, the, you know, some of the reasons why it's a problem is it's because it's a new virus. Not many human beings have antibodies for it. Not, you know, none, in fact. So it's kind of like what happens when uh, nobody vaccinates for measles and then somebody gets measles. Right. Uh, you, you know, you've got no defenses um, against it. So. That's why it's, you know, in, in part, that's why it can be so severe. That's why it can be so easily, you know, easily passed on, why the actual symptomatic uh, carriers of this are a lar fairly large in number. Um, yeah, go ahead. Is the the effect on the, the person who gets it, is it a flu-like disease? Do you feel like you have the flu? That, is that be, what, has that how we would yeah. equate it? Yeah, there, so the CDC put out a chart um, a hel really helpful chart that we should locate and link, I think, if people are interested. Um, I, I know I saw it maybe two days ago. Um, that compares the common cold to the flu to this coronavirus. And there are many similarities, but there are also some distinctions. So if I recall correctly, bodily aching um, uh, really isn't connected to the coronavirus, whereas it does happen with the influenza um, the cough is dry, not a wet cough. Uh, you know, there, there are, you know, signs that, that are, um, that are tabulated for you so that you can freak out <laughs> when you yeah. start to cough, start to hack and cough. Um, 
but it's so yeah i mean it's it's similar you know any kind of respiratory you've had various things i'm sure you know the the respiratory uh, illnesses that you've had and i know that i've had sometimes they're associated with sore throat sometimes they're not they're probably caused by different viruses um I'm not sure it's, it's been you know I, I very rarely have i actually had influenza but i i've had it and um you know it <laughs> you know when you've got it so um but you know there's some speculation about whether there might be two types of this virus one that causes more severe reactions and one that doesn't i don't know if that spec i mean that was speculation as of about a week ago i don't know if that's you know people have figured out that no that's not the case but it's certainly like all respiratory illnesses definitely hammers you if you're in your 80s um you would think that it would be really harmful if you were under five but there seems to be a you know relatively small infection rate to the very young um and if you're in your 20s and 30s you know you, you may get it some rare cases might be really um severe in their symptoms but by and large the severity ramps up as you get older which is right right now the you know the average rate of those dying from this in Italy is like the average age is like 82 or yeah. something like that, you know? And I think it's similar in China. Yeah. And, and so, and I think the death rate is one thing it's going to be so in flux because I think once testing becomes more widespread from what I understand that we're just going to find out many more people have it than we thought. And so the death rate's actually going to go down uh, once we, once we get all the full numbers, but right now it's just, it's so underdiagnosed, I suppose that, the death rate isn't really that. That's not a, a calculable um, statistic, really. They're not a dependable um, statistic it's, at this point. It's tough, yeah. And the graphs that show the number of cases uh, versus time, those are hard, really hard to interpret because you have to. You can't just take it as the actual number of people who've got it, right? Because it's only it's the actual people of uh, who, who you know have it. Um, and there are, you know, like you say, as testing becomes more frequent, we will find you know, that's going to cause the number of cases to go up in addition to the fact that you've got this geometric multiplying effect of, right. um, you know, that you could, you could calculate raw, you know, if you knew how many people get it from any one in, you know, infected person, you could plot an exponential curve that would correspond to that particular rate. But it's even hard to tease out what that rate is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We are like record. I, this is developing so quickly. Um, and so like, I'm going to try and get this show out um, off schedule if the network will have it um, because of this, but um, we're recording on March 12th at about 11 AM Eastern time. Um, and so who knows what's going on? It was really about last night before I went to bed that I started really kind of like dawning on, I guess the Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks and his wife uh, have been diagnosed with it. Right. And so like that, that whole thing, like, I don't know, putting that kind of a familiar human face on it um, Mm -hmm. makes it seem um, a bigger story. And and that's a terrible thing, but uh, it's, it's human psychology uh, to do this. Uh, And so uh, this is not, 
a failing on mine. It's just the way we're wired. Uh, and yep. so, uh, but no, I think that lots of things are going to be changing very rapidly with this story. And so I think the this discussion we're going to have is mostly going to be speculative um, about how it's relating to a particular industry, but um, it's certainly related to um, all aspects of life. Um, last night, uh, President Trump has uh, ceased air travel or traveling from Europe to America, and and so there's there's a. a taking this seriously at a very high level um, is going on right now. You had mentioned before we started recording um, a, uh, of uh, one of your board of trustees, I think you said uh, is mm-hmm. uh, was on the Joe Rogan show talking about this. Um, yeah. And it, he had some interesting insight into uh, what might happen. Yeah. Um, so the man's name is Michael Osterholm. Um, he's been in the news uh, the past, uh, you know, a couple of months, um, also, previously during the H1N1 uh, concern in, uh, about 10 years ago, um, uh, he's an infectious diseases expert um, uh, at the University of Minnesota. Uh, he's a Luther College alumni uh, and, and um, on our board of regents, as you, as you say. Um, so I, I know him personally. Um, he is basically saying, you know, buckle up. You know, buckle up for changes because there will be things that occur. Um, given that this is new, you know, I don't think he would say five years from now we're still going to be dealing at the level that we're dealing right now with this particular virus. Um, but for the for the coming year, there are going to be effects that that are felt. And um, I, I've only watched a little snippet of this uh, interview of his with uh, with Rogan. He was on the show. The full show is like an hour and a half. I, mean, I don't know if he was on the whole time, but it's pretty, like short. 15... It's, it's pretty short for Joe Rogan, but um, <laughs> he goes like seven hours, right. but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But he, so there's a 15 minute clip that's on YouTube that you can find that I think will, uh, will link to, 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 to this uh, episode as well. Um, uh, you know, he's he basically saying, look, this is going to have effects through the summer. We're going to be fighting this in the fall. Um, uh, many, many, many people will get it. You know, I mean, I think he he's looking both at historical data because he's he's studied that he's he's studied outbreaks of everything from Ebola to, uh, you know, to H1N1 to 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 swine flu to whatever well, that was a swine flu, I guess. Um, and, you know, said that tens of millions of people are going to get this you know, H1N1, 60 million people in the U.S. Uh, got it. Uh, and he's looking at the same numbers and saying, that's, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to contain it. It's past the point of containment we're in mitigation now, or, um, you know, what can we do to stop community transmission or to slow community transmission? I think he wouldn't say you can stop it. Yeah. Uh, but, but, um, but he's just saying we, we need to be ready to face the consequences of something like this. And and let, I know that there's some like, you know, Wall Street idiots who are like, well, let's just let everybody get it all at once so that we can get back to normal of making money, right? And so um, out of- Old out school of, chicken pots. Out of thin air, pot. right? Um, but <laughs> that's not really the point. The point is to slow it so that our healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed because we can't handle right. tens of millions of people going to the hospital sick, right? And so that that's the point right. of slowing it. Um, and so even though you probably can't stop it, and I from what 
I've heard, it's just going to be like a thing. We get a flu shot every year in coming years. We'll also get a coronavirus shot. It's just going to be part of, uh, uh, part of the, <laughs> the, the, our routine, um, going right. uh, that we'll have to adjust to. Um, but, um, until then, um, it's, even though everybody's going to get it, we can't have everybody going to the hospital all at once because we're not set up to handle such a thing. Um, And so, um, all right. So I guess what I'm, that thank you for the the background there. Um, What I'm kind of like interested in is, so colleges, I'm sorry if I'm like (laughs) even more stuttery than normal uh, to the listener out there, but uh, colleges are kind of, flying by the seat of their pants to, uh, to say, put it lightly and an increasing as the virus um, exponentially increases, you sort of have this ramping up of colleges, um, trying to deal with it in whatever way they can. And the, the overwhelming solution has been to shift to online meetings. Uh, and so shifting from, for the rest of the semester, we're about halfway through, we start spring break on after classes on Friday. And so, um, I, uh, we haven't announced that we're doing anything yet, but colleges around us have, and they are shifting to online for either the rest of the semester or for a period of time where I went to grad school at Case Western Reserve. Um, the last I heard, at least, they were going online until April 6th and something about banning group meetings of more than 25 until April 20th or something like that, which I honestly, I don't quite understand that. So I'm not going to feel any better if I get coronavirus in a group of 24 than, I, <laughs> than if a group of 26, right? I don't, I don't quite understand that. But, um, but the... Um, um, uh, but so some, their colleges are handling it differently. And so, um, let's talk a little bit, let's kind of ease our way into what colleges are doing. I, um, a lot of conferences are being, um, canceled. Uh, you, I, you have a, a, a yearly thing that you do in Japan, right? And that it's been affected. Well, uh, so I, yeah, it's more than, it's, it's more than yearly. I mean, our experiment, so, so I work on the Bell two experiment, which is a particle physics experiment in uh, at a laboratory at the National High Energy Physics Laboratory in Japan um, that involves uh, about a thousand collaborators from all over the world. And we're running now, we're taking data. Um, and so I, because I'm on sabbatical, I was going to do a lot of travel to Japan this, uh, this semester um, to go there to work on the experiment. So high energy physics, just very briefly, the, the way we run experiments is we have um, teams of people who are present at the laboratory, monitoring the detector, monitoring the accelerator, making sure all is kosher, you know, starting and stopping data taking, et cetera. We run basically 24 seven. Um, and every collaborator has a responsibility to fulfill a certain number of, of eight hour shifts towards this end. And so I was going to bank up a whole bunch of, of shifts because I'm able to travel during the academic year, which I normally, if I do it, I go for meetings of the collaboration, which happen three times a year. And sometimes I'll go in the middle of a semester. That's fine. If I'm gone for a week, I can't be gone for a month. Um, so I was going to do that. And uh, basically the executive board of the collaboration decided uh, right at the start of March to say March and April, we are going to run the experiment only with collaborators who are already here at the laboratory. Damn. There's sort of a, a group of about a hundred of us that are, that are there for very long stretches of time, mostly graduate students, sometimes faculty who are on sabbatical. 
um, and then you know physicists who work at the laboratory itself. Um, they don't want anybody coming. Uh, nobody coming from abroad. Um, I I don't think they have the. I don't think they would say you cannot come, but they're saying please don't. We want to run. You know, we're going to run this this way. Um, so that we've completely changed the mode of operation of the experiment because of this. Um, and it's, you know, it's taken me out. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, this first trip I was going to make this spring um, was going to be to a workshop in Torino, uh, Turin, Italy, northern Italy. Mm. Um, and then I was going to go to Japan from there. Uh, to go work on the experiment for uh, a couple of weeks. And so I kind of hit the double whammy there you know, with two places where you shouldn't travel. Uh, so I had the I, I, multiple times I've had to change tickets. And basically now I'm just sitting on a bunch of credit because I don't know when the next time is I'm going to be able to, to get there. Um, it may be that even my, you know, I, I, I always go for a longish trip in the summer and often take students and we probably won't be going. I don't want to say, I don't want to say for sure. I mean, who knows what can happen, but that's mid June. I'm not sure things are going to be settled down by then. And certainly Luther is not going to be, you know, they're going to be more concerned about bringing students there. Um, They may let, you know, they may say, yeah, it's fine if you go, but I don't know. I don't know. So it's, it's caused a, it's caused kind of a, a kind of a at least a some a challenge for us to overcome. Yeah, and lots of conferences, um, like professional conferences, are canceling. I'm supposed to go to uh, the pop culture conference, uh, pop culture association conference, in um, uh, next month in uh, Philadelphia, and my they're sending emails out that says if you haven't made travel plans, don't yet, uh, and so I. I guessing that that's going to be canceled. Lots of other ones have been canceled. And in fact, on my way to this recording, I bumped into Haley, who was on our Philip Roth uh, Plot Against America episode. Um, She had actually submitted the paper she wrote for that class to an undergraduate conference at Johns Hopkins and got accepted. And we were all like super excited. She gets to go present at this uh, research symposium at Hopkins and it's been canceled. Um, And it's, um, it's been moved to online. I just found out. And so um, there's uh, yeah, lots of disruption in the profession of mm-hmm. that the kind of that peril that uh, scaffolds higher education. And so the but the higher education itself is also kind of um, scrambling to keep up with things. And mm-hmm. so let me just kind of talk a little bit about what we're doing here at uh, where I work at Mount Aloysius College in uh, central Pennsylvania. We're sort of in the middle of nowhere, which I guess is probably good at this point for us like we're, we're we have a, a degree of uh, geographic isolation and yet um so our our boringness is actually a uh, uh <laughs> a benefit to us at this moment our region's boringness um and yet um penn state has announced that they're going online and penn state's like an hour from here and um uh, university of pittsburgh apparently is doing the same thing from what i hear and so and there's some branch campuses that are very near us penn state has one in altoona which is 15 minutes from from here and then um, Pittsburgh has one in Johnstown, which is about 25 minutes from here. And so the um, uh, and I'm, my guess is they're going to be moving to online uh, instruction here for a little bit of time. Our college is still sort of figuring out what to do, and so uh, we have spring break next week. Um, and this we've been told to kind of prepare 
in the the contingency that will have to go online. Okay, and so there's a a bit of a panic, honestly. I have to say uh, because I think that there has been this divide between online instruction and physical instruction, like uh, you know traditional delivery methods of higher education for so long we've thought of them as two separate parts of the institution and and I think that now that we have to kind of we're forced to unify those two things I think we're looking at a seismic event in higher education and I'm not saying that colleges are going to go out of business because of coronavirus but I think uh, just on a more mundane level I think the way that we conceive of education and technology is going to be different uh, in the fall semester. And, and mm-hmm. I think could be, we're going to have to build in contingency plans uh, for this kind of thing, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's just going to be an expectation. <clears throat> just like you're expected to have a syllabus uh, for a class, you're going to be expected to have an idea of how to translate this to online, like at the very least. That's like a baseline mm-hmm. thing now. Um, and then I also think that there's going to be like – um, a collaboration between these two like separate f- modes of instruction that we haven't seen before. And, and I think that people are going to be trying to reconcile the strengths of each and try. And, I, and so I, I almost feel hopeful, like I like about mm-hmm. for this particular thing, not about coronavirus, but this, I actually feel like higher education might actually improve um, based on this experience. But um, so I mm. that that's kind of one thing. And so I, I don't want to talk too much. I, I hate to talk too much on my own <laughs> show. But let me say one more thing before I turn it over to you. Um, okay. My um, or maybe two more things. My kind of practice, my teaching practice. I guess I incorporate a lot of what of flipped classroom concepts, um, which I think naturally fit with what we do in English anyway. You're reading a book outside of class, um, so you're sort of doing your own education outside of class. What we do in class is break that down together in a group, mm-hmm. right? And so I have for a long time had um, – online activities before they come to class. And we use those online activities in class. So um, for me, my classroom is probably not going to change all that much. For one thing, I actually have two online classes already this semester. So half of my classes are already online. So that won't change. Um, But the other thing, the other two classes that are not, I I actually feel like um, the only thing I have to do is figure out how to do the class meetings. Um, our institution uses Canvas, which is a, a learning management system that's very, very popular. And um, there is a, a conference feature on that. And so yesterday when I met with my conspiracy theory class, which we were ironically talking about <laughs> coronavirus that day. Um, uh, and so we uh, like I broke out my computer and I had them get out their phones and computers, whatever they had. And we actually held the rest of class on this um, learning management system uh, collaboration platform. And it actually worked fairly well. And that class only has 10 people in it. I think it would be very easy for me just to hold class at the normal time electronically. Okay. Um, my horror film class that I'm teaching tonight, I'm going to try the same thing tonight to see how that works. But there's 23 people in there. And so I'm not sure how that's going to work uh, in this medium. But my intention at this point is to kind of just do what I'm already doing and find a, a, an electronic way to meet um, at the same time. So we're still bound by time, but just not by space. Right. Um, and so that, that's kind of what, um, uh, that I've been, that's, that's one thing I've been doing. And there are certain challenges that are coming with that, that, um, I can talk to, um, a little bit. One is just internet access. Right. And so a student population like ours, you can't count. I mean, we, we serve 
um, people who higher education doesn't serve typically, right? And for a reason, they, they um, so you can't count on people having reliable internet access at home. And so um, that is that is one thing that's going on there. But uh, let me turn it over to you because I'm I feel like I've been jabbering too much. But what, yeah, no, so no, no. what are your thoughts uh, experiences? Sure. Well, okay. So you know it. Iowa is one of the states that has a, well, a growing number. It's not a huge number. I mean, I last I know they had tested a bunch of individuals down close to the University of Iowa and the number of cases had gone from eight to 13. So it sounds like there's, you know, nothing, right? Um, yeah, and that's 13 known positive identifications. Um, but, you know, the state, you know, the state of Iowa, uh, their board of, of regents, which govern Iowa State and the University of Iowa and the University of Northern Iowa have just decided they're going to go online after their spring break, which starts this weekend. They're going to go online for uh, for two weeks afterward. But I think they're playing it by year. I mean, um, you know, they may extend that. Um, they um, don't. They don't drive what goes on in higher ed in general in in Iowa, but I think people are taking cues. Um, Grinnell College, very prestigious uh, liberal arts college in the center of the state, they announced last week that they're going online for the rest of the semester, so they're sending their students home. Um, we have not yet decided what we are doing, but we um, uh, department heads uh, met um earlier in the week and sort of hashed out what are the challenges, what are the things that we're concerned about. Um, and so anything, you know, anything could happen. We might go the whole semester. I don't know. We might go just a couple of weeks. Um, the main thing is for us, you know, how do we serve our students well? How do we, how do we give them, um, you know, given the challenges, how do we keep them healthy to the degree that we are able and how do we deliver um, them, you know, serve them as, as, as faculty. Um, so online is, is, I'd say probable for us. Um, so we're talking about, you know, how, you know, what, what particular, what particular disciplines have the biggest issues, um, with that. I mean, we use, uh, we use the whole Google suite of, 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 uh, things as well as Moodle, which is our, our LMS, but it does our learning management system, it, but it, I don't believe it has a, a virtual meeting, um, capability, uh, it certainly has discussion boards and things like that that you can do, uh, verbally. Um, but, but the Google suite has this Google meet thing, which is, you know, uh, sort of like a amped up version of Google hangouts, I believe. Um, which we're going to be, you know, learning about here here shortly. That that may be an option for us. But we also have Zoom. We can use Zoom, and Zoom is really good, you know, for a fairly, you know, moderate sized crowd. I don't know if it would work for a class of fifty. Maybe it would. Um, I have no idea. But you know, our concerns are the same. Uh, we have a large fraction, not not like yours, but a large fraction of first gen students who are, you know, scattered throughout the rural Midwest. Who knows what their cap you know their their capability of accessing uh, high speed internet is, um, and that is a a substantial concern because it would be inequitable to <laughs> to, to suddenly say yeah we're going online and good luck um, you know they'll overwhelm their public library <laughs> or, or or whatever if they can go um, that's, 
right? I mean, if why, they can go, why exactly. wouldn't why wouldn't libraries close as well, right? Yeah, that's 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 true. So you know, I think we're you know ultimately this is just me speaking, not the institution. Obviously, I think probably will we're going to shut down face to face for a while. Um, but I do believe we're probably going to make accommodations for at least I hope we are for those who simply won't be able to access the online stuff at home. Um, we have about a hundred, somewhere between 120 and 150 international students. Also, they're not mm-hmm. going home. Uh, the Chinese students aren't going to China. Um, and basically anybody from Asia is not going back. And, um, a, a goodly chunk of ours are from Asia and Africa. Um, and you know, they'll be housed. I I'm sure on campus. And so why would we not do the same thing for those whose situations would, uh, you know, would, 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 would prevent them from being able to take advantage of what we're going to try to do. Yeah. So I'm hopeful we'll do that because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're student focused enough that, uh, you know, and, and, and sympathetic enough in, in, in those ways that I think we'll, we'll make every effort to make it accessible to everybody. Yeah. And, and I think there's a sentiment out there that, oh, everyone's overreacting to this. And maybe uh, there, there probably is a degree of like, this is not like the stand, right? This is not our Stephen King stuff in the Halloween, right? This isn't that, right? And so, um, but it, it, in order to kind of um, slow down the spread of it, I mean, stopping large groups from meeting is a way to kind of step in the way of the spread of it. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and to slow it down, like you said, we're not going to stop it. This is like out there in the, in the atmosphere now. And so, mm-hmm. um, but, and in fact, we're not the only industry that's doing this. The NBA has just halted its series, uh, its season. Right. And uh, the NCAA tournament will be apparently hosting those games with no audiences, which will be very strange to watch on television. Um, right. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, but um and so, yeah, I think that there there is a good reason um, for colleges to be um, stepping away for the rest of the semester, right? It's a little it's a little different, um, you know. the The NBA, um, you know, there's a big Japanese sumo tournament right now that's being held with no spectators, um, which is I I tend to watch them, so it's kind of interesting to <laughs> to see those stadiums. Are there like um, are there like bars set up so you could go watch sumo tournaments in Japan like that? Like <laughs> like this for soccer? I would love to go sit well, with you a- in one of those. <laughs> Well, it's on NHK. I mean, it's on their, you know, it's basically, it's like on their normal television service. So you don't have to go to a bar, although yeah. I, sure I mean, people do. I mean, in America, right? I would, I would go oh, to an, America. I want to go to an American bar to watch sumo wrestling tournaments. All you got to make sure is they got NHK. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a hoot. I, I tell you. Um, but no, they're, you know, they're concerned about thousands of people you know you bring thousands of people together you don't know where they've come from they're cheek by jowl they're going to uh well there's and and they're they're traveling every day on public transportation uh to get there so you know in at least in japan um so you don't want that big collection of people because that just multiplies the connections i mean the number of individual one-on-one connections that happen when you've got a huge number of people together in one place sharing the air um, is, you know, it's a danger. Um, Colleges though, we're dealing with something slightly different. Um, You know, unless that means the big state universities totally understand it because they have lectures where they're, they've got a lecture hall with 600 students learning physics. 
uh, and and whatever. Um, so there again, you're replicating that same thing. You've got a big bunch of people together. And if any one of them or two of them are sick, you're going to infect other people, I think, almost certainly. Um, but for us, I mean, you're you don't have at Mount Aloysius, you don't have big, huge classes like that. Right. I mean, no. we we have some lectures um, of our freshman, our, our Paideia course that I've talked about on the network a few times few times i probably talk about it every episode and there i did it again <laughs> you know they we do have um lectures where we split the first year class into three sections and we have you know maybe 200 but that's the biggest lecture on campus our class sizes average you know 10 to 12 um i think uh as a whole and you know some sometimes they're 50 but it's not the quite the same number of of individuals and universities also have the in and out feature of faculty going off to conferences, coming back, students going on trips. You know, right now, our study abroad programs are still all operating, but I don't know whether they're going to be pulled home. I know some of them, um, some of them have in, in, we have one nice program in Malta where they spend the semester in Malta and they go all over the Middle East and uh, Northern Africa and Europe. They, they, and they were in Italy when things started to get rough in Italy and they got pulled back to Malta and then they had to self-isolate for 14 days um, after getting back. So, you know, universities have this, 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 you know, constant communication of people inside to, to the outside world. And I think that's the, you know, that, that's the, that, coupled with the Petri dish uh, sort of effect of having people, especially at a residential college like ours, um, having them all together means, you know, you're, 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 you've, you've got risks that, yeah. that that are somewhat different from the large sporting events and whatnot. But, and people of that age group are just gross, right? They're, <laughs> they're, they're not very hygienic, let's just say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right. They have to be pushed to uh, to uh, to wash their hands. But at least now we've 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 got garbage cans right next to the doors of the bathrooms now, so that you can do the paper towel thing and not touch the you know door handle. We what we need is Star Trek doors. That's what I want. <laughs> you know, we need we need that. You know, the the yeah. Anywho, so yeah, I mean it's 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 a big challenge. You know, I, I, I do worry about the equity thing, but I think we've probably got a good handle on that. We'll probably do what's right, yeah. uh, but it is going to change things, you know, laboratory science. What the heck do you do with that? Yeah, this <laughs> is, okay, so this is the, one of the two things I want to kind of get to. I want to kind of take them yeah. in, in somewhat of a, a distinct order here. Um, but I definitely want to get to that kind of, particularity, right? Because that's one conversation that we're, we're having here. Um, and so let's start with the students though. Um, mm -hmm. Like, so I've had, so yesterday, some of my students were very upset at the prospect of going online because they don't feel like they learn very well online. Um, mm -hmm. certainly some of that is the quality mm -hmm. of their online instructors in, in given situations, right? Some people do it better than other people. Right. Um, and, and, and then, and this is the, like, this is the first semester I've really taught an online class and I'm learning all the time of ways that I can do better. Right. And so it's a, it's its own kind of skill and its own kind of like pedagogical approaches that, that you have to learn over a period of time. Um, but, um, there are also people that need the kind of face-to-face -face interaction, right? In order to uh, really feel involved with what they're with what they're doing, and the the lack of being in front of you, um, I think, 
causes a disconnect um, in interests mm-hmm. and in investment, perhaps. Um, and so I think that's that's one challenge for students um, is that some people just aren't acl- or just don't do well in that environment. And remember, I don't know, like was it five or six years ago, seven years ago, maybe when oh, it's all going to go down to uh, to uh, what are they called? Mooks, Mooks. That was it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Massive online, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and that that was the big next thing that died like six months later. As soon as they tried right. it, and they realized that ninety percent of the people didn't complete the class, right? And so, um, and particularly people who struggle, uh, a particular demographic of people who struggle with online class statistically are the people who education is supposed to be serving the most. The people who are not like. Um, well-equipped from their primary and secondary educations, right? So those people, when they come to college, extremely struggle with online mm-hmm. learning, okay? And so that is a challenge from the student's perspective. Um, in addition to any kind of uh, like socioeconomic challenges that we talked about before, I have, in, in that class of 10, I had a couple of students say that they didn't really have reliable internet because they live in the country and there's no service provider mm-hmm. that goes out there, right? And, um, and so um, we tried to figure out ways for them to log in on their phone and um, so turn off your camera uh, so you're just listening to the thing and you can type your responses into the note window so to reduce bandwidth usage right Um, but that's still digging into their personal data right Um, in that case if they're using their phones to, to, to go to class and so these are real challenges for for real people like in this yeah. kind of uh, transition and I think that there's uh, there's this, I don't know, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but there's a segment of uh, in the pedagogical world of really pro online people who are like, oh, now you're all going to see how awesome it is over here, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and I think that they're not really um, accounting for the, the particularities of certain populations for whom online learning is not the best uh, option. And so that, yeah. that, that, that's one thing from the student perspective. What do you have to add to that about well, students? Yeah. So I, uh, you know, one of the things that I think characterizes our kind of institution is that one-on-one personal connection with your faculty member in a, in a given course. And in just in general, in life in the college, I mean, we know our students, you and I, we know them well because we see them every day. We see them in town. We see them, you know, um, we live with them. And if you, if you, if you sever that relationship, it really does change the character of what you're able to give them. I mean, you can be as sympathetic a person as possible, but if they're never sort of in the same breathing space as you are, they're, they're missing something. And, and we are missing something. I mean, for me, the, you know, one of the best blessings that exists of teaching where I do is this very thing that I know these students and I am able to mentor them and, 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 and help them through a very challenging part in that person's life. I mean, going from high school to leaving college, those are huge transition years. And I'm, I've, I feel blessed to be able to help them out. I mean, uh, sort of a second kind of parenting that, you know, connected, uh, you know, connected to, but separate from, you know, my parenting of my own kids. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I am like a nobody, like in terms of the profession. Like I am like, if there's a totem pole, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole <laughs> of the profession, right? Um, and uh, unremarkable in every way. And and and, but even if I were one of those people who could sort of go and get one of the prestigious jobs, um, like I wouldn't want one of those jobs, right? Like uh-huh. the thing that I value about the work I do is exactly what you're talking about, right? And so, right. yeah, um, there's something particularly for me special. Mm-hmm. about this kind of environment. And for me, um, because of who I am, you know, in, in most ways, um, the kinds of students that we here at this particular college serve, like um, I, I feel a real um, connection with them and their kind of socioeconomic political situation as well. And so like for me, like I wouldn't even want, I, I really would have a hard time imagining myself even at a, like an elite small college, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 that so like for me to the uh, the idea uh, that I can connect in the way that you're connecting isn't yeah, it's inseparable from the information that I'm I'm passing right. on. Yeah, yeah. No, so you know one of the things that I uh, think for the student experience that you kind of have to do if you want online to even approach what you can do in the classroom is you need, uh, and this is this is why it's challenging, especially for those who are on the phones who, because of bandwidth issues, have to go to audio only. You don't have that, the, the visual cues. You know, you don't have the, the kind, I mean, you could, you could lead class discussion, I think, in a, in a Zoom meeting. Um, you know, we have meetings where we have group discussions that go just fine. So you, you kind of have to have that, you know, in physics, you know, the stereotype for physics is there's the sage on the stage, you know, the, the just the, you know, the lecturer who spews forth all the wisdom in the world for, you know, an hour and then is done. Um, and that's not the way, you know, physics education has changed a lot. We are very interactive. I like to call my classes conversations because that's what they are. Um, so we go back and forth. We talk about ideas. We talk about demonstrations we're doing. Um, and we get feedback from the students. The students talk to each other, which, you know, it's, it's you know, physics education research is, is a field unto itself. And they've done a lot of work on the cognitive aspects of learning. Um, and for students, they're, some of their most important learning goes on when they're having the side debate between a pair sitting next to each other about something that was just said. And so we try to foster that and you have to, you know, you kind of have to do that. And it's not any different for, uh, for an English class. I mean, how do you, how do the students learn? They learn by talking, they learn by listening, they learn by hearing other ideas. And the same thing is true. You know, the nature of the material is different, but I think that's where the best learning takes place. So for me, my biggest priority would be how well can we replicate this yeah. in an online medium? Yeah. Asynchronous is hard. Yeah. Right? If you're going to go asynchronous, it's just content delivery then. Yeah. And and, and, and everybody knows the discussion board posts are a rote activity, right? And, and so, yeah, and, and the, they don't engender um, the the kind of, even if you do it really well, and I think you can do it really well with very targeted answers and very targeted instructions um, for what people are supposed to do in these conversations. Um, It's for me, it's still not quite replicating exactly the quality. Right. Right. Um, And even uh, you talked about the, the, if someone has to just dial in audio uh, with just Mm -hmm. audio, like 
we're on a Skype call right now and we have the video cameras turned on, even though this is an audio format, right? <laughs> and so right. We, we can look at each other and take those right. kind of visual cues. And, uh, and I love to, I love to look at Peddler's office, uh, his, his, uh, <laughs> the, the board, the, the chalkboard in his office with those hieroglyphics on it. Uh, I just, I, I find so fascinating. It's so, um, uh, so no, this is a, uh, uh, it's an important part. It's, it's a, it's a form of presence. And like I said, with right. the canvas feature, um, I think for most people, it's going to work really well. If they're unable to get that, they're going to be missing that much of it. Um, right. We've all also just kind of naturally kind of moved into the conversation for the challenges for faculty. Um, and so there are faculty members at every institution, I'm sure, that still teach like it's 1962, right? And um, and I know that we have had issues getting people to even use the grade book on, on Canvas, right, um, out of some stubborn okay boomer mentality okay and so <laughs> and so <laughs> so uh um <laughs> i should edit this out but i won't and so anyway um but the uh uh and so that's a challenge for maybe administration uh, is to sort of um communicate expectations for good pedagogy in today's environment with those types of faculty members but i'm just going to like aim this conversation at faculty members who are doing what they need to be doing um, by and large. So um, for me, like personally, uh, a challenge is going to be, um, I don't know how to say it, just as in the way that the, the students need to be physically present with people to feel part of that community, like I do too. And, and so if, if I'm unable to sort of see the reactions, and sometimes it works to my detriment, if I see somebody who's bored, I kind of, it distracts me and I take it very seriously, right? And I take it too seriously and personally on sometimes. And so, um, and, and sometimes I lash out at people in ridiculous ways, but, um, but the, uh, uh, but the, the point is that I kind of need that physical like presence as well in order to kind of feel like I'm under that I'm conscious of whether they're getting what I'm saying, because anybody who listens to the show knows that I tend to talk in circular uh, ways and I'm not always clear about what I mean. And so I want to make sure that they're clear about what I mean. And so if I can look at the little squinty eye, I'll know I need to repeat something, right? And if I can't see that right. squinty eye, I don't know how it's going. Um, right. And so for when I'm, I'm doing my online rhetoric class, my rhetoric one class, uh, which is our freshman composition, um, I do these kind of weekly announcement videos where I talk about what's due this week and mm -hmm. try to explain the assignments. But I don't see anybody looking back at me. And so uh, I, to me, I don't know how well that's going. Um, that's mm -hmm. one thing I'm going to try and improve on in future semesters as I teach this class. But um, so that's one thing that's a challenge for me. Another is I find, and it may be specific to the kinds of students I have. I don't know if you've ever been to central Pennsylvania, but um, <laughs> there is. I've been close. Yeah, there but... <laughs> is. Not, there is a, a cultural sort of, um, I don't know, reclusiveness. Uh, and, and people are not. Um, outgoing right and so very often if you just let people be their natural selves they just like stare at you with this blank look in their face and <laughs> slightly agape mouth right and so um i uh uh one way that i've kind of overcome that in the classroom is i, I realize it's just they don't know me right and so mm -hmm. they need they don't feel comfortable sharing 
thoughts that they're not completely sure about yet, perhaps with someone who they didn't grow up with. Okay. And that's a problem in this region is that they are very comfortable around people they grew up with and nobody else. And so, um, if your great grandparents didn't go to kindergarten together, they don't know what to do with you. Right. And so, um, and so, um, one way I've overcome that is a little bit of small group conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I'll ask a targeted question and have just talk to the people around you, um, see what you think, and then I'll pull out what you guys say in the big group. And I kind of use that. So that's a, a standard tactic that I use all the time, and it works really well to kind of grease the skids, right? And then um, I think I do pretty well, honestly, getting widespread uh, participation in class throughout the semester because of little things like that that I do. Um, and I don't know how to do that yet in <laughs> in an online format, right? Right. <laughs> um, and so I, they, there are little like things they can type in the side. So maybe I'll just depend on that a little bit. Like, so type yeah. uh, any questions you have and then maybe I'll take the question and then maybe mm-hmm. that'll coax something out of you. I'm sure there are ways to do this, but I don't know them yet. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. That's going yeah. to be a challenge for me. What about for from your perspective? Well, so I'm so to turn this to something of a hopeful direction. I mean, I do think that what this might do is spawn development of better online systems. I mean, you know, I would I would love to be able to say, all right, you know, if you're working in Zoom or you're working in, um, you know, some other platform that allows, you know, 25 connections to be able to say, all right, I'm going to link up these four people and they'll have a conversation that is private to them. And these four will have uh, you know, one private to them and so forth. I don't, I'm not aware of any feature like that on any system, but it would be great to develop it. And from a coding standpoint, I can't imagine that's that hard. Yeah. Um, you're just, you're just connecting up two different streams, you know, t- types of streams. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think that will come. Um, you know, because of the importance of being flexible with who all is speaking or whatever. <laughs> I also, while you were talking about that, um, it, I did, I did come up in in my head. What happened is, um, I pictured, uh, you know, your group of students all with their little windows. And suddenly them going to silhouette with a voice changing, uh, <laughs> you know, like the old crime shows used to have. You know. <laughs> I used to live right next to Ted Bundy, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, no, but I mean, that's I'm being facetious. But I, I, I think there will develop certain um, uh, technological solutions to some of these things uh, because we'll, we will need them. Um I'm also hopeful that uh, there may be a way in which this spawns thoughts in professors' minds of how can I use the online tools that we do have access to to enrich the experience of, of, of students, to use them more. You know, we don't use much in our world. I mean, I do a lot of sort of, uh, you know, problem solving work where I record myself doing problems for students just to have extra resources to, you know, go beyond the classroom where we do that, but, but to give them more, more, uh, more of the same. Um, I can imagine, you know, um, doing that a lot more in the future just to have, I mean, one of our professors, um, uh, two, well, two of them now have started recording every class. So every class is recorded. Um, 
And uh, in order to take, if we are out for two weeks, um, they've actually thought of putting those same lectures out there. I know it's not ideal, um, but putting those same lectures out there and, and, and sort of flipping the experience saying, all right, watch this. And then we'll get together as a group for half an hour or an hour and talk about what questions did that raise for you? And what would you, you know, so to make the, 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 the actual class hour wholly interactive, um, with the backdrop of having that recorded lecture to start them thinking about the material. I think that's a really great development. I think it could be, you know, something that if we continue to do this, I know next year when I'm back in the classroom, I'm going to record every class too, just so we have that bank of material because we get sick too, you know, that, I mean, better yeah. than, better than canceling a class day if you're able to, to provide that. But yeah. um yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think there is some reason for hope that we might be able to, you know, draw from this. Yeah. One, one thing that I do, it's kind of a recent development starting in the fall. I started doing this. I kept always just writing my class agendas down like on a piece of paper and I take it in with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh, I just do this on the Google Doc. And then I realized I could organize my Google Doc um, day by day. And then type down in more detail what I plan to do, include um, hyperlinks to YouTube videos that I'm going to be showing in class, that kind of thing. I thought, oh, that way the next time I teach this, I'll already have my prep done. And then this semester, I'm like, why don't I just share that on Canvas with my students? So they always yeah. have a, a, a detailed record of my prep notes as well, right? And so, yeah, there's a way in which um, if you're engaged with technology, um, it helps you do um, – a better job in preparing, but I think it also can, can help the students as well. In my conspiracy theory class, um, there's a lot of videos we watch in that because we want to look at examples of, of people, um, conspiring, <laughs> conspiracy theorizing, whatever. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, and so I, I give them that, I don't know how many of them look at it, but if they ever want to go back and, and look at a resource, it's there. And so I yep. think there is a way in which technology does kind of give us a way to improve what we do in the classroom. And this is one thing that I want to, um, like I'd already before the semester, um, come up with this idea. So I was tasked, uh, this last fall to develop our, we have a we use a standard syllabus for our freshman comp class, our first freshman comp class. Uh, we call it Rhetoric One here. And so I was on a committee that developed this, but it's not my class, right? I mean, it was a lot of compromise stuff that I wouldn't have done. We do, yeah. right? But but I teach the syllabus that we have, and so it, that class is always it's not my favorite class to teach, right? And so I sat down. Um, making this online version of this class, which I'm now teaching this semester to see how it goes. And I kind of took this, the, the template syllabus and I made all these discussion board posts and, and it just dawned on me even before the semester started that I am just going to use this in my physical classes when I teach yeah. this in the fall as well. And because I'll feel like I'm, they're doing that outside work um, and that before class. And so I actually yeah. think, the online class that I developed is a better version of the physical class that I that I've always taught, and so I'm yep. actually looking forward, believe it or not, in the fall to teaching mm -hmm. this class again. I'm teaching both two sections, one online and one physical, of the same syllabus. I'm just going to use the same Canvas page for both of them with the modules, week one, week two, week three, all the way. It's all scheduled right. all the way through the 15 weeks of the class, and um, and uh, all the assignments are in there. And I'm just going to have them all do the same work, um, and right. then I think. I think it's going to make that class a lot better. So I think for me, that's a good example of these two 
seemingly disparate worlds, um, having something to share with each other. And I think this moment in which colleges are forcing people into this world, I think it's going to have long-term impacts, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think a lot of people are going to find things like you're saying that will actually not only benefit the online environment by bringing them from the physical classroom, it's going to benefit the physical classroom by bringing them from the online environment, right. um, as long as right. technology can keep up with us. Um, and so sure. um, the last thing I do want to talk about, though, are there's like, I guess maybe from an administrative um, perspective, there's a couple of challenges. Like one is there's already a controversy about online classes in terms of like intellectual property. So a, a professor who develops an online class, in many cases, the college owns that, right? And so mm. they can't, there, there's sort of a, a, a form of copyright um, that is imposed upon people who are actually developing the work for other people, right? And so I think the opportunities that are going to be opened up are also going to open up certain challenges. And this is one of them. I think this is, if, if we are going to be more integrative in technology, this is an issue that has to be addressed at some point, um, or, or it's going to cause major problems down the road. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of portability, like I plan on going nowhere, but if, uh, if a, someone who develops a class for one institution, if they go to another institution, are they allowed to take the class that they made with them? Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that, that is a, I mean, that's a major problem. Um, and so that's one thing I can see, but there's also, I was talking to, um, um, people, uh, not yet here, <laughs> but elsewhere, uh, about this issue. And I don't want to name names, but, uh, the, they teach at, uh, Christian colleges. Right. And so mm -hmm. one of the, um, fears that they have is that, oh, administration's just going to see, oh, online works really well now. So let's just do that all the time now. And let's just kind of, uh, save money by moving everything to online. I don't really see that as feasibly possible. I think that is a, there's a, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm thinking economically here. There's a market problem mm -hmm. with that. There's just not enough of a marketplace for, 5,000 new online universities, right? I just don't think that's going to right. be economically feasible. But I also think that I, I, I don't really fear that happening. I, 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 fear, I, I fear many other things more than that. I, could, because I think of what we're talking about, the, the nature of what we do as a small college, I think has mm -hmm. a market appeal. Like if a lot of mm -hmm. colleges did do that, I think it would be really beneficial to colleges who stay um, the course. I think they would get a lot more students then, um, honestly. But yeah. Th that's my thoughts on that. Sure. No, I mean, I think there is, this is one of the ways I think that we are going to be marketing differently what we do. You know, when you talk about um, when you talk about the value of it's not necessarily only a liberal arts college, but the liberal liberal arts college tends to be a smaller, more intimate place where faculty student relationships are are key and where that interchange of ideas and, and co-learning is always going on. Um, when you talk in the marketplace about the value of the liberal arts that's where you need to go not necessarily you know try to to come up with you know other reasons why uh a liberal arts college is a is a, is a good is a good buy if you will um i hate using the marketplace language but this is the world we live in yeah yeah uh, 
you know, I mean, so we needed to be talking about, well, what, you know, what's the value of, of interpersonal communication and conversation? Well, it's, it's developing your ability to think and to think through problems and to solve them together. The value of that for anybody in almost any field is immense, is immense. And, 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 and we, we do this, we do this kind of thing well. And I, so I, I would agree with you. I think there will be, some financial pressures probably to go to more of an online delivery mechanism. But as long as we take the moment, the opportunity of the moment to say, no, this is why this kind of education is valuable. This is the outcome that we see for students who take part in this kind of, of, of enterprise. We'll be able to weather it. We'll be able to say, you know, I mean, obviously the market, who knows 10 years down the road, what things are going to look like. Um, but I think at least now we need to be thinking seriously about how we talk about what we do and why our brand of education is distinctive yeah, um, and, and beneficial. And it may not be in the terms that we've talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is, I guess what I'm talking about when I think this is, we're going to look back at this as a watershed moment. This is a, uh, something that has been thrust upon the industry, if you want to put it that way, mm -hmm. uh, the profession and, uh, is going to force a lot of structural changes, um, in terms of technological investment and, and training. And mm -hmm. so I think you're going to see a, a big emphasis on centers for teaching and learning and that sort of thing um, that are incorporating and really kind of um, maybe not forcing is the right word, but uh, high, <laughs> emphatically suggesting uh, that faculty get sort of on board with uh, with more modern ways of teaching. Mm -hmm. But also, I think that it's going to change the kind of income calculus. And I think what one thing I do think, I think that you're going to see colleges make less distinction between online and physical classes in their curriculum. I, I think mm -hmm. that they're going to be more interchangeable uh, than they are now uh, for the, for most people. Uh, once, once this gets better, I think this is going to force people to get better. And once it reaches a point at which it is better, I think it's going to um, actually become much more integrated with the on-campus life of the college. So I, I think this is not – I'm trying to think of like a an allegory of some sort. This isn't Amazon.com. This isn't Walmart shuttering and becoming an online thing, right? This, right. Is, this is Walmart developing its own Amazon uh, delivery systems, right? And, and I think that this mm -hmm. is uh, – um, not that I, I hate to use the two companies I hate the most, but you, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, but, uh, I, I should have not done that, but you know, but th that's sort of what I mean though. So, um, yeah. um, any other final thoughts on this? We've gotten ourselves an hour out of it. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I think I, like I said, and I guess I would echo, um, I, you know, Mike Osterholm's words. I mean, I, I, I just, I do think we're going to be looking at a challenging summer and and fall um with some obstacles that need to be overcome but you know as we often say to our own kids when you know when they're faced with an obstacle you know what it's going to be it's going to be good for you yeah. <laughs> and, you know i think it will yeah you know? i mean because we can show the students sorry to, just let me complete the thought i guess we can through this show our students what our concerns are and show our students why you know, 
what our hopes are for them and why, you know, and as long as we talk honestly and openly about the changes that we make or the, the things that we do, we can show them why they're getting something valuable out of the experience that they have with us. As long as we can say they are foremost and their learning and well-being are foremost, we've, we've, we've given them, a, you know, a, a, a gift. I don't want to be too prideful about it, but that's, you know, that is the way I see this. I, I see our ability to really work with them and for them and give them something that will be valuable for the rest of their lives. And this is an opportunity to emphasize that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I just want to kind of admit my own kind of bias as a parent in this episode, because we didn't even get to like the student life um, end of campus, right? <laughs> so what does, I mean, what what does that look like going forward is also going to change, right? We're going to have to figure out ways to replicate, because student life brings a lot. I work on a lot of committees with folks from student life <laughs> um, this the last few years. And so I've, I've developed a great appreciation for what they do over there. And, and I work very hard to try and bring them into the the academic conversations that we have um, because I think that they can really help us um, uh, extend what we do into the classroom, into the kind of the living spaces that students inhabit. And so I, I think they're very important, uh, vital, in fact, um, to mm -hmm. campus. And so we didn't talk enough about that. We didn't talk at all about that in this episode, but a question is going, because I just frankly don't have the knowledge to do so, but um, mm. the qu a question going forward is going to be, so what do like student, like in living enrichment programs look like in scenarios like this, right? I mean, and how can like an online, can you replicate a, a dance online somehow, right? <laughs> like how, how right. do you sort of uh, account for the kind of the things that they bring to campus in these kind of new times. And so th that's a question for other people who know what they're talking about, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> but uh, well, Todd, I, I really appreciate as always talking to you. You're awesome. And, uh, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot as always. And um, uh, anybody out there who has any questions about this, um, I'm going to have some links to some of the stuff that we talked about in the show notes and some other stuff that we didn't talk about. We did a little bit of reading uh, for this episode. And uh, so it'll give you a little chance to do some research, but um, be well, uh, wash your hands, uh, you know, stay away from dirty people. I don't know what, I don't know what we're supposed to do, but, uh, but uh, this is uh, Danny Anderson thanking Todd Pedler for joining me for another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Subscribers flee the network. Please.